Hey, thanks for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and to help you live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus has for your life. Are you ready for the word today? I want to welcome those online. I want to say welcome to you. Thanks for joining us. And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in today. We're going to continue our series around roadblocks to freedom, and I'm believing that God is going to set you free today. Are you ready to be set free in Jesus' name? Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to gather together. We pray, Lord, as I bring this word, that you would speak through me. Father, I pray that um, as we open your word, that you would speak to us and that you would bring transformation to our lives, that, that, that we will work out that you are the one who is trustworthy and you are the one that we can surrender to and we would surrender to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do I have my two boys in the room? Aiden, you're here. Where's Joel? Joel, where are you? Oh, he's gone downstairs. Come up here, Aiden. He doesn't know this is happening. My Aiden's now very big. If you haven't noticed, this is my son. Oh, let me say that for, for those online, you wouldn't have seen this, but for those in the room, did anyone notice the worship team today? And they're all like under the age of like 25, in, including Rick. Yeah, we put Rick in there too. <laughs> Rick's got socks that are older than 25 years. Well, we thought we were going to put these young punks on the platform, so they needed some bit of, bit of maturity and wisdom, so we gave them Rick. But isn't that wonderful? The next generation of worship leaders, and Annabelle and the team, and Matt, and Justin, and Christy. And behind the scenes, we have Josh, and Josh has changed seats, and we have Luke up there. You guys do an incredible job. Josh, that mix was exceptional. Thank you, Luke, for what you're doing on the computer as well. We're a very blessed church to have incredible young people. Amen? Yes. And we need to continue to celebrate our young people. And they're going to be a bit different to us and a bit crazier than us, and that's totally okay. Because we were like that when we were young. Amen? Well, some of us were. <laughs> I was definitely crazy. Why are you here again? That's right. So when we were young, when the kids were young, he's so strong. His muscles are so strong. Um, one of the things that was important in, in, in our family with my two boys, Aiden and Joel, is that we would wrestle. And when I say wrestle, we would um, get on our queen-size bed, my, my wife and I's bed, when, when the kids were like this big, and we'd wrestle. The kids would get underpants and put them on their head like wrestlers, and we would crash tackle each other, and I'd, and I'd get a name called Mr. Slam, and I'd Mr. Slam them. I'd just slam them into the bed. And it was the best time, except for when we did it just before bedtime, and the kids loved it, but Michelle, she hated it because they were all hyped up. We wouldn't get a bed. Well, over the last, you're 15, almost 16, the last time, 15, 16 years, we've continued this tradition. But recently, things have changed for, for obvious reasons. Because what, what I used to do, one kid, one arm, another kid, arm, boom, into the bed, um, that's no longer possible. Um, to the point where that if I wrestle them one-on-one, I'm usually okay. Not against him. For obvious, you can get off now because I've shown you. Good job, Aiden. Um, wrestling one-on-one, um, I'm usually okay. Aiden's a bit of a struggle. But when the two of them against me, I'm in all sorts of trouble. Seriously, I cannot win anymore. So I push them and we even do corkers. I don't know if this is okay to say. We do corkers and we do like headlocks and, we, and, we, and it's like full-on wrestling. It's, really, it's all, all done in love. It's all done in love. But we fight and, and to a point where I'm on the ground, right? laying on the ground, and if I'm still fighting, they jump on top of me and until, until I surrender. And as soon as I surrender, they go, we won, and then Dad can be free. Here's the, here's the, thing, I want to, here's the thing I want to teach you today. 
It's only as we surrender to God that he sets us free. You know, when I kept fighting my boys and wrestling them, and even if it was on the ground and they're pinning me down, the more I fought, the more they held me down. But as soon as I went, you know what, you win, <laughs> I surrender, that's when they set me free. And it's true with God, you know. God sets us free when we, when, when we choose to surrender to him. We're in a, we're in a series called uh, Roadblocks to Freedom. And this series is set up on the premise that Jesus wants us to live lives that are free. Free from the baggage, free from sin, free from wrong, wrong mindsets. For living in the freedom that Jesus has made for us when he died on the cross and rose again. He wants us to live that way. But often, there are roadblocks in our lives. There are things that stop us moving forward. And in this series, we're talking about some of the roadblocks. And the roadblock that I want to look at today is an unwillingness to surrender. An unwillingness to surrender. When I say surrender, surrender simply means I've tried to do it my own way, but I've worked out that's not working. So God, I no longer choose my way. I choose your way. That's what it means to surrender to him. I no longer choose my way. God, I choose your way, your will, your way. You know, um, it's as we surrender to God that he sets us free. But I reckon for many of us, we are unwilling to surrender in certain areas of our lives. Now, if you think about it as big picture, you think, why would a Christian not want to surrender to God in every area? Why wouldn't we want to serve him, honor him in every area of our life? That would naturally make sense. But the reality is, there's areas where we get stuck. There's areas where we keep fighting doing it our own way, rather than, rather than surrendering to him. We carry the burdens of life rather than surrendering our worries to him. We worry about this and worry about that, even though the scripture says, cast all, do not worry, cast all your stuff on me, and I'll give you my peace. And yeah, we continue to fight and try to hold on to worry rather than surrendering the things of life to him. We try and keep things in control, control relationships, control situations, stuff that we can't control, and yet we keep fighting, trying to control all these things, rather than saying, God, I can't. I'm surrendering these situations, these relationships, these circumstances to you. We pursue financial freedom and trying to get wealth But we often do it in ways that aren't God-honoring. And rather than choosing to surrender to him around finance, we fight and do everything in our own strength in order to get ahead. And then we pursue the desires of the flesh, things that are ungodly because we think they serve us. And for those moments of gratification in the short term where where the desires of the flesh make you feel better, Long term, it doesn't work because it brings shame and guilt and a, a disconnect in your walk with God. And, and rather than surrendering our ungodly behavior to him, rather than surrendering it, we continue to walk in it as we continue to fight for those things. Rather than fighting to try and do it our own way, God wants us to surrender to him and say, God, here I am, your will, 
your way. So here's a question I want you to ask, and if you're watching this online, please put some comments in the chat. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to talk about the answer to this question. Why do you think we are unwilling to surrender? Why are we unwilling to surrender to God? If you're online, put a comment in the chat, or maybe you're sitting with your family at home, have a conversation. But if you're in the room, take 30 seconds and ask the person, answer the question, why are we unwilling to surrender? Go for that now. Why do you think? Hmm, very quiet. Come on. Why are we unwilling to surrender? Alrighty, who's got some answers? Hopefully you put something in the chat. I can't see them right now, but those in the room. Why do you think we're unwilling to surrender? People like to control. True. Another answer? Ultimately, I don't trust him. Pride? We don't know how. That's a good answer. I'm not answering that today, but that's a good question. Over here? Fear. Fear of what it could what be unloaned, what's on the other side of surrendering. He might send you to India or something if you surrender. Yeah. Want to say something? Said already? Anyone else? They're all good thoughts. Kev? Say that again? We enjoy what we're doing. It's true, isn't it? That's the desires of the flesh stuff. You know, as I was preparing this message, I came up with nine reasons. We can't do nine today, so I've chosen three. Three reasons I reckon we aren't willing to surrender. And I want to share these three reasons with you. The first one is this. We don't know the one to whom we're surrendering. That's what Nikki said. We don't trust him. Because we don't know the one to whom we're surrendering. We don't know the one to whom we're surrendering. In December, Aiden turned 16, which means L plates. Yeah, L plates. When I was a young man... We, uh, I remember talking to my mates about L plates and 16, and then by the age of 17, you get your P's. And then when people got their P's, you'd, you'd, and then we'd go to the beach or do something together, you'd then have to choose which car you went in. And you'd go in someone's car, and very quickly you worked out if you trusted that driver or you didn't trust that driver. And then next time you went together, you would sort of choose your car because you're depending on who the driver was, their ability or inability to drive, you know? And this can be similar around our relationship with God, you know. The more that you sit with him and get to know him and see him work in your life, the more that you trust him, your trust increases because you know how he drives. The more we get to know him, the more that we trust him. I want to take you to a few scriptures today. The first is from John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus goes from Jerusalem up to Galilee and he goes through Samaria and he meets this woman, woman at the world, the Samaritan woman, woman at the world, if you know the scriptures. And this, I want to read you a few verses. This is what it says. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, so Jesus ends up at this well. They've been walking. His disciples go into town to get food. Jesus is left there. And a woman comes to draw water. And Jesus said to her, will you give, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. 
his disciples had gone into town to buy food, said it twice. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This woman didn't ask Jesus for living water simply because she didn't, she didn't know who he was. Jesus then has a conversation. She then understands who he was and then goes and tells the whole, whole town who come out and meet Jesus. And that town is radically transformed as they put their trust in Jesus. But the woman didn't ask Jesus because she didn't know who he was. The second scripture I want to take you to is, when, um, is from Matthew chapter 14 when Jesus is, the, the, his disciples are in the boat, Jesus has stayed behind, and then he comes out and walks on the water, and Peter sees him walking on the water. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 24. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then Peter says this most ridiculous thing you could read in the Bible. Like you hear this story as a young kid and you go, yeah, whatever. But you think about this in reality. As an adult, adult to adult, Jesus is walking on the water and then he says, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, if it's really you, tell me to come to you on the water. Like that is a ridiculous thing to say. And Jesus responds, okay, you believe, come. Then Peter got out of the boat walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began sinking. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Peter believed enough in Jesus that he believed that if Jesus allowed him to, he could walk on water. Hence was Peter's level of faith. The Samaritan woman didn't ask Jesus for eternal life because she didn't recognize who he was. Peter had enough faith in Jesus to walk on water. What if you had faith in Jesus like Peter did? What would your life look like? Third one, Psalm 84. This is what the psalmist writes. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints. For the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Verse 2. Verse 10 now. Better is one day in your courts, God, than a thousand days elsewhere. The second part of verse 10. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And then finally in verse 11 and then 12. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. As you, as, as you read this psalm, you see, you see the writer with this intimate connection with God who knew him and wanted to be in the temple where his dwelling was and to be with him forever because he knew him. Here's a question I asked you before. What would life look like if you trusted Jesus like Peter did, who walked out of that, who walked on the, walked out of that boat and walked on water? 
What if you knew him so well that you trusted him in every single area of your life? There was lack of fear. You took risks. You stepped out. You had conversations with unbelievers. You trusted him with your finance. When you prayed, you believed God was going to heal. You had expectation that God was going to move, that you come to church every Sunday with an expectation that God is going to do something here. You know, when we worship him, we, we are opening ourselves up. We're saying, God, I'm drawing close to you, James 4, 8. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. We're, we're opening ourselves up to an encounter, to encounter him. When we sit under the word and we say, God, speak to me, God can renew our mindsets. When you come forward for prayer or when you surrender at the front of the service, you're saying, God, here I am. Change me. What if you had an expectation that God was going to move powerfully as you were prayed for? God responds to faith. And I reckon one of the reasons we don't see the, the, the great things we want to see is because of our lack of faith. We need to know him. We need to trust him. We need to expect that he's going to move. The first reason I reckon we don't surrender is because we don't recognize who he is. We do not believe who he is. And therefore, we don't put our trust in him. Because the reality is he loves you so much more than you could ever imagine. He is for you. He is the God who pursues you. Even when you don't pursue him, he pursues you. Like Pari brought about Jacob when he shared that Jacob had all this deception going on in his heart. But God, out of his grace, met him in that place and like showed him his father. That's a beautiful picture. God sees our brokenness and he still comes and loves us. God sees how we've rebelled against him and still he wants to set us free. He disciplines us to transform us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He provides for us. He heals us. He fights for us. Nothing can separate you from his love. And his greatest gift is his son Jesus, that Jesus came and died on a cross, that my relationship with God can be restored, that the death sentence that is on my life can be paid for, that God's anger with me because of my sin is appeased. That is what God has done for you. He is trustworthy. He is true. You can rely on him. You can surrender to him because of how amazing he is. Amen? I can really stop there, couldn't I? Maybe I should. Keep going? Keep going. The second reason I want to give you around surrender is that we, we often want to keep control. The reason we don't surrender is because we want to keep control. There's a story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, you know, the commandments, love, love, love. And he talked about all the commandments that relate to how we treat people. But Jesus says, there's one thing you lack. Sell all your possessions. Give them to the poor, then come follow me. And Jesus said that because he loved his possessions more than he loved God. This is what it says. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When the man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Not only was his wealth in his life more important than his relationship with God, but he wanted to control. He wanted to control his money. He wanted to be in control of his destiny as he had wealth to choose what he wanted to do. And I reckon in life we often try to keep things in control. Here are some thoughts that I wrote down. We try and control our finances rather than surrendering our finances to God. 
How often do we do finance our way compared to his way? The scripture says tithe is something that's a great principle for us to follow. And then it's not just the tithe, it's over and above. Are we giving, and my encouragement as you give to transform in faith today, that you'll give over and above your weekly giving to that. We want to get blessed by God, but we don't use our money in the way that he wants us to do it. There's many scriptures that talk about as we give to God, he opens the floodgates of heaven. As we honor him in our finance, he meets us and blesses us. Another area of control is around our identity. What would our life look like if I surrendered to Jesus? What would people think about me if I surrendered to Jesus? This is how they see me now. But if I surrender to him, will they see me differently? But then, our, our, like Kev mentioned, our, our, our ungodly behaviors, things that satisfy us for a short time, that work for us for a short time, and we want to keep control of those things for the pleasure that they give us for the short time rather than surrendering those ungodly things to God and being released from shame and guilt and living in the life in abundance that he has for us. Ungodly behavior leads to death. His way leads to life. And then a relationship. Maybe you're trying to control a relationship. You're trying to control people in your life. You're trying to control situations and seasons. You can't control anyone but yourself, and you can only control yourself on a really good day. (laughs) Isn't that true? Only on a really good day you can control yourself. You know, we need to surrender the relationships that we're trying to control to him. Here's a question for you. What are you trying to control Rather than surrender, what are you trying to control rather than surrender to him? Final one for today. (laughs) Why don't we surrender? Number three, because we think we know better. Now, this sounds stupid. How could we, a mere human, know better than God? The one who designed it, the one who made you, who created you, who put you on this earth, who gave you how to live, and we think... We know better than him. The the religious leaders, the guys who were supposed to represent God to the people, thought they knew better than God himself. After Jesus heals Lazarus, rises Lazarus from the dead, the word spreads and it gets back to the religious leaders. And this is the event after someone told the religious leaders about Jesus rising Lazarus from the dead, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. That was the council, the religious leading council. What are you accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. If everyone believes in Jesus, then we will lose out our authority, our nation, and our temple. Our way is better. God's way is not better. Our way is better. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do, you do not realize that it's better for, that one man die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. And that little phrase is very prophetic and multiple ways of reading that. But these religious leaders thought they knew better than God. And the question I have for you is this, what do you think you know better than God? What area of your life do you think you know better than God? Do you think it's better to hold unforgiveness rather than surrender and choose forgiveness? 
Do you think it's better to use money your way? Or are you going to surrender and choose to use your finance his way? Do you think it's better to hold on to your faith and make it private and not share it with anyone? Or do you think it's better to do it his way and say, God, you want me to share my faith? I'm going to share my faith. Do you think it's better to see my self-worth as less less than, see myself as broken and lower than what God sees me? Do you think it's better to see yourself that way or are you going to choose to surrender and choose to say, God, I'm going to choose to see myself your way? Do you think it's better to isolate yourself from other believers or do you think it's, or, you, or will you choose to surrender and get around believers who can hold you accountable, which is God's way? Do you think it's better to get touched by God in the message and then at the end leave without coming forward for prayer? Or are you willing to surrender and say, you know what, God? I'm going to choose your way and I'm going to come forward for prayer and I'm going to believe that you're going to move in my life. You know, sometimes we think we know better than God, and we live it, and we act it, and I reckon we've all got it. How stupid. How ridiculous. If we want to live bound up and stuck, continue to do it your way. If you want to live free, choose to surrender to him. Choose to surrender to him. In this message, we've talked around one of our roadblocks is an unwillingness to surrender. Number one, I suggested one of the reasons why we don't surrender is because we don't know the one to whom we're surrendering. Number two, I said we want to be in control. And number three is that we think we know better. Which are all crazy reasons. You know, God loves you. He's for you. He is a God who pursues you. He has a great plan for your life. And all he wants you to do is surrender to him in every area. And then he says, yes, that one, that one's surrendering. Look at that, and that one there, that one's surrendering. I can work in their life. I can set that one free. I can give that person influence and opportunity because they're willing to say, God, here I am. Use me. And you want the band up. I'm going to finish with this. Come on, you guys. Yeah, just the acoustic version, Annabelle. You know, Jesus gives us the perfect picture of surrendering to his will. In the garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus was crucified, and we read in John 16, 17, that long prayer, and Jesus says to his father, Father, is there another way? Because he knew what crucifixion meant. He knew it meant the pain and the agony. He said, Father, is there another way? And then he prays this prayer. Not my will, God. Father, not my will. But your will be done. And that is the perfect picture for us. And let me tell you the result. As Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done. It led to his death, which resulted in his resurrection, which resulted in him him giving life 
to everyone who believes in him. And as we pray this prayer, not my will be done, but your will be done, it will lead to death of our worldly passions. It will lead to death of our sin. It will lead to death of that stuff in our life that shouldn't be, shouldn't be there. And what's the result? It leads to life as we walk in the freedom that Jesus has for us. And the result of that, as we walk in life, we then offer that life to others. Will you surrender to him today? As the band sings, we're going to spend time in surrender. And I want to invite you, if you're serious, to come and kneel at the front and say, God, here I am. Thanks so much for checking out this message. LifeGate Church has people meeting in person and online in many different locations, and we'd love to help you get connected. My name's Andrew, and I lead our online team here at LifeGate Church, and it's our job to do exactly that. We'd love to help you find community, get support and prayer, and take your next step. So why don't you connect with us and take your next step at lifegate.org.au and click the Next Step button.